Well, we want to welcome you to the Reformed Informants. This is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, systematic theology, and practical application for the good of the church. I'm Lance Burroughs, along with TJ Darty, and we are the Reformed Informants. What is going on in Kentucky, my man? Dude, just another day. Just another day. Sermon prepping today. Walking through Philippians. Uh, if you're if you're a regular listener to the podcast and you want to check check that out, you can go to our website. Sermons are going up there. A little shameless plug. So Central Baptist Church in Paris, Kentucky. Google that up. Find the website. Uh, click on sermons, and you can go check those out. So walk through Philippians with me if you want to do that. So yeah, look. and if you want to go to countrysidebible.org. Uh, and look, look, oh wait, I'm not up there because I'm just an intern. At yeah, church. that's right. I was going to say, so. what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> Trying to, you know, funnel traffic away from Central Baptist. No. What do you, what do you got going, man? Um, yeah, big week. Uh, by the time we release this episode, um, I will have finished up finals for the spring semester. I actually have my Greek final uh, covering First John tomorrow and then my f- theology final uh, covering about 500 pages of notes for theology proper is on Thursday. So um, it, it's nice to take a break from studying to yeah. uh, record this episode. Yeah, it's got to be good to step out of the books a little. That's kind of the same same thing I'm doing. I've been in the books all afternoon doing that sermon prep and like, all right, let's come up for air. Let's have a cool, edifying conversation and and uh, and then go back into the trenches again later. So um, I know exactly that feeling you're you're going through right now. So thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule, Lance, to record this episode because uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, you're you're welcome, TJ. Well, before we get uh before we get rolling here, um, we, we do want to give a couple shout outs and uh, special thanks to those who have uh, given uh, money towards uh, the podcast. Uh, a few weeks back, we kind of threw together a GoFundMe uh, to help cover the cost of uh, uh, a few of the expenses that we have for the Reformed Informants podcast, um, such as Podbean and even Squadcast that we're using now to record from two two different locations uh, in the future. Once again, webcams, when they drop down to normal prices, uh, we're going to get some webcams and be able to record uh, video as well. Um, but there were a handful of people um, that gave money towards uh, the reformed informants. And basically what we're saying is, is that each and every episode wouldn't even be possible if we didn't have generous people uh, mm-hmm. reach out to us and, and cover, cover those costs. Yeah, man, that's, I, I've been continually blown away by that support. And I mean, I know that you and I, when we started this thing, our main goal was to make as much money as possible. <laughs> um, but no, in all seriousness, we, we said, hey, we were starting this thing mainly for ourselves. We just wanted to have uh, edifying conversations. And we we found that there were a group of people that enjoyed listening and we've, we've had such good positive feedback, but uh, we're not making any money here. This is not, that's not our aim. That's not our goal. And so all that money helps offset the costs that you and I have incurred. And we, you know, there's been some financial, um, a little bit of financial, we put, we put some of our, our time and money into this as well. And so um, it's helpful just to have these uh, contributions come in to help kind of alleviate that from, from us and our family so that we can continue to do this. And, um, you know, there's, there's some exciting stuff ahead. Uh, can't release all the information at this moment, but I'm just going to tease it out that, uh, because of the support of those who have, uh, poured into the podcast and the listeners that are, um, clamoring for, for, uh, some news. So we, we've got some stuff in the works and we're excited, uh, to, uh, to be able to release some of those, those details. When, when, and how is that information going to come out, Lance? Yeah, well, today's May 4th. Uh, as we're recording this episode. So this will release next Monday, um, which I don't even know what next Monday is, seven days from now. Uh, Yeah, around that time, um, we should be able to reveal kind of what's going on in in terms of news. And um, as we track down those who gave, we're still trying to figure out, you know, the handful of people that gave money towards us. We're looking at... Uh, reaching out to them and giving them a little gift. So we've got all that in the works, man. Excited, uh, excited yeah. for that. Um, one, one last thing before we get rolling here, we did have a listener reach out to us uh, that 
basically requested that we speak on a different podcast that we uh, listen to in our spare time, which is very little time. Um, TJ, who, who, who are your, uh, who's your go-to? I think I know. I don't want to say it, but your go-to podcast. Uh, the Reformed Informants podcast. Every every Monday an episode gets released, and I just look forward to that. Now, uh, I do listen to our podcast um, to, because it's it's always helpful for me to go back and revisit those conversations, so I do enjoy that. Uh, but I listen to two podcasts mainly. One, I listen to Al Mohler's The Briefing. listen to that every day. It's kind of my normal routine, get up, work out. Uh, and then as I'm getting ready, that's kind of what I, I get my daily news and events from a Christian worldview from from. Al Mohler, really helpful uh, podcast uh, daily. But my favorite one that I listen to and look forward to pastorally is uh, the Non-Marks Pastors Talk with uh, Mark Dever and Jonathan Lehman. Just find that to be a really helpful resource. And of course, I'll, I'll dabble in others. I've got some friends who have some podcasts. Uh, the London Lysicum, um, I listen to uh, R.C. Sproul, John Piper, Desiring God. I've listened to sermons from those, uh, things like that. But my normal steady hand, I'm listening to um, to Moeller's the briefing, and then I listen to Pastors Talk with the Nine Marks guys. So, what about you? What do, what, what are you into? Yeah, there's nothing like listening to Al Moeller as you're getting ready to squat 400 pounds. That that just <laughs> hype you up, right? <laughs> just something about that calm, steady voice, man. Um, yeah, I listen to the Just Thinking podcast with DB Harrelson and uh, Virgil Walker. Um, cultural apologetics. Um, is kind of what they cover, uh, things from this culture, uh, and, and taking a look at it from a biblical perspective. Um, I enjoy the reformed informants. Of course, uh, Owen Strand has a podcast. He only has a few episodes, uh, the city of God podcast, which is, uh, w- which is really good. Um, I would say those are my main go-tos. Tom Pennington and the Word Unleashed. I wouldn't say it's necessarily a podcast, but it's uh, his pulpit sermons. Of course, mm-hmm. grace to you, John MacArthur. Yeah. Um, those things. So there's a lot of good podcasts out there, man. Yeah. Well, a lot. Which is uh, coming off the episode we just did on Redeeming the Time. That's a great... That's one of the things that I just utilize. I, I just don't find myself listening to... Uh, I don't know, background noise in the car. Or whatever. Like I just, I just throw a podcast on uh, while I'm sending emails, while I'm uh, rearranging my office and whatever I might be doing. I just try to redeem that time and podcasts are a great way to do that. Uh, of right. course, we're biased. We're in the podcast game, but sure. um, that's why we do that. So uh, so with that behind us, then let's, let's actually jump into uh, the content for this episode, which I'm really excited about uh, because I've actually preached on this. But why don't you go ahead and set us up, kind of talk about uh, what we're doing, what we're talking about, and why we're having the conversation. Well, this is episode 40 on the Reformed Informants, Christians, Government, and the Neglection of Romans 13. So we're going to take a look at how Christians and government and Romans 13 are all intertwined and how we should respond. Uh, reasons that we put this episode together um we didn't make an exhaustive list, but just a couple things to kind of get uh, get your mind uh, turning as we get into the text. We want to let God speak on the issue of Christians and government, especially during COVID-19 in this time. Mm-hmm. We want to let God speak. What does God say about how Christians should respond to government? Secondly, uh, we want this episode and this study to allow our own heart and our own desire uh, to be checked. Um, how, how are we responding to government? How are we talking about government? Um, and, and I think I want that point to be nuanced a little more. I'm not necessarily talking about behavior modification, although I do think we need to be careful in our words and in our behavior. But when it gets down to it, we really need to address the desire. What is our desire and our affections and our will towards the government? Um, thirdly, uh, I think that being equipped on this issue will help us in conversations that we have with people, Christians and non-Christians alike. How would a Christian biblically respond uh, to the government? And then um, lastly here, uh, it's a great reminder that God is king of kings, um, that Christ, when he returns, he will return as the king of kings. And even in Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, 
it says that Christ is the ruler of the kings of the earth. So in reality, we are discussing Romans 13 and Paul's um, Paul's articulation of how Christians should respond to government. However, our highest authority uh, is the, the sovereign God. Yeah, <clears throat> man, we need to be reminded of that. And I like I like what you said. Of course, those those reasons that you mentioned there um, are that's what that that's what led to us having this conversation. But I liked what you said, especially in light of of the COVID nineteen situation. Like when we first started season two or semester two, however we phrase that. But when we first started having these conversations, we were in the thick of this COVID pandemic and responding to this. And so that's kind of led to and prompted several episodes that we've uh, discussed. And in particular, this one, um, I preached, like I said, I preached a sermon on Romans 13. Uh, my third week here wasn't my plan, but because we have the president of the United States coming on the news um, regularly, because um, our in Kentucky, the governor speaks every day at five o'clock. Like it's like on the clock, he, every single day he's addressing the state. He's got some, so like we are seeing our government leaders with far more regularity right now and hearing from them with more regularity and more intensity. And people are more tuned in now than maybe ever before. And, and there's some real, uh, important things happening and interactions between the government and the church and the government and, uh, local gatherings. And so all of this led to me sensing that we needed to study this as a, as a local church. And I think prompted this conversation for the podcast as well. So yeah, um, does, d- does he have a podcast? That you, who's that? <laughs> uh, all the government officials in Kentucky. Oh, probably. Yeah. The, I don't know. You're hearing from them so often. You yeah. might as well download them on yeah. iTunes. I, yeah. I, I don't know. I've, I've, I've uh, been inundated with so much of it. And, that, and that's honestly part of the frustration and trying to deal with how do you balance all the things that are being forced into your life. And that's why really, I think that we need to let the word of God inform and shape our worldview and inform how we talk about and respond to and, and deal with governing authorities. So um, if, kind of the way that I'd like for this conversation to go and however long it takes, we'll try to be concise. But what I'd like to do is essentially kind of a hybrid episode. So what we've done before is we've done the biblical exposition where we walk verse by verse through a text, which have been so edifying for me, just sitting down with you, opening our Bibles and just walking through a text. Um, it's been really, I don't know, we've gotten so so much good feedback on those. So I'd like to do that with Romans 13 verses one to seven. And then once we've done the exposition, then start talking about the application, uh, the takeaway points, and then specifically, okay, now that COVID's happened, now that the government is saying these things to the churches, how do we respond? So that's kind of the outline. That's the flow of thought. A um, little give and take here, uh, walking through the text. So looking at Romans chapter 13, I, I don't want to read the whole thing um, all at once because we're going to go through it a little bit more slowly. So I'll just kind of read it as we go. Uh, of course, you take sections, feel free. I'm going to read from the ESV, uh, but there's not a whole lot of interpretive um, issues in regards to translation. So most translations are going to be very similar, but looking at Romans 13 verse one, Paul begins this new section um, in the book. And he says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. That's how he starts this, this section. A couple of points to note here. Um, Every person, uh, every person in the Greek means every person. Um, that's a little tip for your exam tomorrow, right? Like it's yeah. every person. Yeah. I'm going to remember that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, 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 there, in other words, there's no ambiguity here. What Paul is saying is this is a blanket statement that includes Christians, um, that we are not exempt. Um, and then he says, let every person be subject to. Now that word is really important because he's going to use it repeatedly and it's kind of the main directive. This is his uh, kind of his thesis statement for this paragraph. This is the directive. Be subject to the governing authorities. Now, be subject to doesn't always mean strict, blind obedience, uh, but it means more conduct that flows out of a recognition that someone else is in authority. Uh, so uh, when you are subject to your parents, which, by the way, this same word is used um and other places in the New Testament to describe those relationships. But when you are subject to your parents, it's not just whatever your parents say, 100%, no matter what, you're going to submit to them and obey them 
blindly. It just means when they say something, you respect them and you you recognize that they have been placed in authority. And so as a result, you will obey, but it's based on that submission. What would you add to that? Yeah, well, I like what you said there. Um, really from the get-go is that Paul is addressing everybody. Uh, I think that because government sometimes, and of course I wouldn't say now is an example of that, but government sometimes seems like they may be out of sight, out of mind. Well, I, you know, I, I can't necessarily see them or it's not tangible with me. So maybe because of that, I'm excluded from this conversation when in reality, that's just not the truth. Paul, Paul is, he's encompassing everyone here. Everyone is subject to the governing authorities. And just to add uh, to what you, you said about not having to obey everything, the, the idea here is that we, like you had mentioned previously, is that we want to have a pattern of living where we are falling underneath the governing authorities. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean we're bowing down. We've got examples mm-hmm. of that. Uh, in Scripture, Daniel chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, um, where Christians are not bowing to the government. But the idea, like like, like we said, it's a pattern, a right. pattern of living that's in subject to the governing authorities. Yeah. Well, it's, a, what, it's included in this word, the word, the Greek word that's translated here, be subject to, it, included in it is a humble recognition that God has placed the governing authorities in authority. Like he has placed the authority in their hands. And so it's a recognition of that to say, I am willingly submitting to the government, which serves as an extension of the almighty God. That's, that's wrapped up in this command. This is Paul's directive uh, to these governing authorities. And those authorities are those who have been uh, vested with the right and the power of ruling the commonwealth. So what do those authorities look like? It depends on the nation. It depends on the time, right? Like if you're uh, uh, the United States, you've got governing authorities from the local to the state to the national level. You've got all these different entities, but they've been placed in their positions of power by God himself. And of course, Paul's going to make that argument uh, a little bit later. But uh, one thing that's interesting about this kind of directive in the first part of verse one is that there are no qualifications. Like we've already talked about that, that he says, let everyone be, but there are no exception clauses, which is really difficult and frustrating. And uh, I think that there's a, a tendency for us to want to say, well, what about this? What about this situation? But I think that the best way to interpret this is to say this is the rule and then later use other biblical examples to iron out maybe what some exceptions would be. But this is the rule and the standard across the board. Um, Does that make sense? Yeah, I like what you said there about really qualifications uh, don't exist. You you don't find them in uh, this particular text. And I think... um, that it is our human nature, our own sinfulness that wants to look for qualifications. It's because not only do we struggle in this area of submitting to government, but we've had a lifelong struggle of submitting to all authority. I I don't remember as a kid just loving to submit to my parents. I don't remember in elementary, middle school, and high school wanting to submit to my teachers or the mm-hmm. principal or those things. I mean, it is it, it is within our own wretched, wicked nature to be rebellious. Mm. And especially in our climate, especially in our culture, man, mm-hmm. that rebellious nature can come out even within Christians towards government because they're an authority and we just yeah. don't like it. Gosh, that's such that's such a good reminder for us. It's such a good word because we always want to shed authority. We just hate that feeling that someone else is in control. It's it's a natural impulse of humanity, and like you said, which is greatly intensified in 21st century America. I mean, it's all freedom, individualism, autonomy, right? Like those are our idols. And um, so, man, that's that's a good word. But Paul says that's his directive. He he comes out. Make, and this is an imperative. He gives the command, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Well, the, the second part of verse one, Paul gives his argument. He explains this is the basis by which he makes this directive. He says, 
for, so there's his explanation, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Lance, break that down for me. What What is Paul saying there? What biblical basis does he have to make that kind of a statement? We're looking here at the Word of God coming from God, 2 Timothy 3.16. God breathes Scripture. Paul, Paul is telling us that if we have issues with the governing authorities, that in reality we're having issue with the supreme authority of the universe. And in other words, this idea of authority, this idea of submission, um, even I guess you could probably throw in this idea of sovereignty, mm-hmm. it, it comes from the top. And when I mean it comes from the top, God is sovereign, God is supreme, God is king, and he is the one who has sovereignly instituted human authority to be over other humans. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, Psalm 115.3, one of my favorite passages, God, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. That puts God, as you mentioned, at the top. That puts God as supreme. Um, and so everything that happens below that, everything that happens then in created order is from the hand of God. And we can see, and there are so many biblical examples of God establishing rulers, because when you start to think about this, okay, well, does God really actually physically choose who is going to be the rulers of which nations? Does he actually go that far? Like we know that he does what he pleases, but does he actually please to select rulers? Uh, Daniel chapter two says that he removes kings and he sets up kings. Uh, a little bit later, he he's speaking uh, to Nebuchadnezzar. He says, the God of heaven has given you the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory. And he's given into your hand, wherever people dwell, the children of men, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens. He has made you rule over them all. So Nebuchadnezzar, this great, powerful king, he feels so high and mighty. And Daniel tells him that's because God specifically gave it to you. Like God did that. That's not your doing. That's that's God. Um, Daniel chapter four, he says that he gives the kingdom of men to whom he will. Uh, what what else you got? There's so many other there's so many other biblical references here. What what other ones come to mind? I, man, I think I have to go back to Psalm 115 just so we can hear that one again. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And the examples you gave from the book of Daniel were just spot on. Really, the entire book of Daniel, you could argue, is yeah. about the sovereignty of God over mm-hmm. kings and over nations, bringing uh, and allowing kings to go into power, bringing them down to the lowest possible point where yes. they're basically acting as an animal and then raising them back up. And then it's future predictions about the same thing. God mm-hmm. in the future, allowing kingdoms to rise and then bringing them to their knees. It's it's all over the scripture, this idea of God being supreme and God being in control. Um, I think of a New Testament text when Jesus is interacting um, with Pilate uh, just hours before his crucifixion. uh, In in John chapter 19, um, Pilate basically says, look, you know that I have the power to release you. Uh, I mean, he says that to Jesus's face. And Jesus responds by saying, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. I mean, the the clarity in which Jesus speaks in the face of one of the highest political figures in the world, really, Mm -hmm. at that time, Jesus says, look, you you really don't have authority. That, That authority that you have is limited and it is given from above. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Pilate was, Pilate had the authority in his, I mean, he just said, he says, do you not know that I have the authority to release you? I have the authority to crucify you. And Jesus plainly reminds him that that authority, he does have that authority, but it's because God gave it to him. So that authority comes from above. And I just think that it's so important for us to remember that and to recognize that the authority has been given by God directly to those agents. Uh, And that's what Paul says here. He says, no authority exists except from God. Those that exist have been instituted by God. And so one thing we have to recognize here before we move on is that this is active. 
it's not just divine permission. It's not like God says, okay, you guys can do whatever you want. I'll allow it to happen. No, this is this is active. God, God is appointing leaders. He is the source of authority. That like that's who God has authority. All authority comes from God, and God is delegating it to whom He wishes. He is giving it away. It's not just somebody's. He's allowing it to happen. Yeah, and and let let me add to that. Notice there's no qualifications in the text, like you said previously in the episode. Pilate wasn't a good dude, right? Nebuchadnezzar wasn't. Nero, during the time of, mm-hmm. um, really the in, in the sixties A.D., he wasn't a good guy. Uh, there, there's no qualifications here. Again, what we see is let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. There's no authority except from God, and all the authorities are appointed by God. Again, nothing about morality here. Right. We're not we're not, we're not talking about the moral living and the ethics of that individual or that governing body. Uh, that's not, we're not even discussing that here because it's not there. Right. Right. And we will come back and discuss those what if questions, but you're exactly right. It's not there. Paul doesn't give any qualifications. So, so he, he's given his directive and then he's made his argument. That's what verse one is. He gives the command, he gives his reasoning, uh, he gives his argument for it. And then in verse two, a necessary implication follows. So because verse one is true, Verse two, therefore, as a result, here's the implication, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So here's a twofold implication, namely that resistance against governing authorities is necessarily then resistance against God. God instituted the authority. So if you rebel against the authority, you are rebelling against the one who instituted the authority, and that's God himself. Yeah, and all all I would add to that is again not we're not necessarily talking about externals here. We're, we're mm-hmm. not talking about just rebelling externally against the governing authorities, which is rebelling against God ultimately. Like you said, mm-hmm. we're talking about the desire and the inclinations of the heart that are demanding rebellion. Yeah, uh, just let me let me uh, another example. Of this would be is if. Um, uh, you know, I, I was out running errands and, you know, picking up things for the house, um, getting groceries, whatever. And I come back to the house and my wife is here with our son. And I'm like, babe, you know what? I, I did not commit adultery. Mm-hmm. Aren't you proud of me? Even even though I wanted to right. the entire time with right. all of the women that I saw, you know, it's the same thing here. The sinful heart behind the desire is still is still the issue. And that's exactly what you're saying is even if you don't actually rebel against the governing authorities, if your heart is not subject to them, if your heart is not acknowledging the authority is from God, then you are, there's a rebellion that's stirred up within you, even if you don't act it out. Is that what, is that your argument, right? Yeah. Because in yeah. John two, it said the scripture says that Jesus he he didn't attach himself. He didn't cling to those people because he knew the heart of men. He right. Mm. So obviously, God does want externals. He is concerned about how we behave and how we act. But it, it's the inward man that he mm-hmm. can pierce into, yeah. um, and and that he is looking at. And and that's my argument here. It's more than just oh, I'm just going to refrain from sending that tweet right. about government. You know. Mm-hmm. No, that's a, that's a good reminder for us, and and, a, and a, our own way of checking our heart, as you mentioned at the outset of this episode, right? Like our aim is not just uh, behavior modification. It's not just okay, delete tweet. It's desire to not tweet at all. Desire to tweet edification or whatever it might be. That's just an example, but I think that's a good reminder for us. Um, and then I think that's relevant too because at the end of verse two, Paul says, you know, whoever resists. Uh, authorities resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Judgment awaits those who resist. Well, this is a twofold judgment. First of all, when you resist a governing authority, guess what? Governing authority is going to punish you, right? Like that's like when I've whenever I overstepped my bounds as a kid, like all I had to hear from my dad was go get my belt. You know, like I knew like, Hey, you resist, you rebel. There's punishment. That's what, that's what, um, Paul says here, judgment will happen. But listen, because 
the ultimate authority is God. This is a plea to recognize that when you do rebel, there is a deeper judgment coming. And outside those who are outside the gospel, if you're listening today and you have not trusted in Christ for salvation, repent and believe because judgment is coming. That's that's Paul's plea here. Uh, and it's, of course, on the surface, governing authorities will judge. Um, they've been given the right to do that. But more significantly, the source of the authority will judge. And that's a scarier thought. Yeah, we, we better just get to this. Uh, better get used to this word authority. It, it is a, it is in the fabric of our creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there hasn't been a time since God created in Genesis chapter one where He hasn't been the sole authority, and also in which He hasn't delegated uh, authority throughout uh, the course of history. You, you can see it from Genesis to Revelation that authority is present and everyone is under it in some shape or form. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a good word. Um, okay, so we've made it through two verses. Let's see if we can pick up this, the pace a little bit. Uh, we, we've seen the directive in verse 1, part A. Uh, the second part of verse 1, we see the argument or the basis for that. Verse 2 gives us an implication. Verses 3 and 4, now Paul jumps in and explains the role and responsibility of of governing authorities and uh, government. And I actually argued this, this was the title of my sermon. I said that uh, I, I titled my sermon, God's good gift of government. So government is a good thing. Um, and we need to recognize this, that God has instituted government in order to promote good and to restrain evil. Listen to what Paul says. He says, for rules are not a terror to good conduct. They're rules, regulations, government is not a deterrent to good conduct. But to bad conduct, government exists in order to restrain evil. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Do you want to live uh, so that you are not looking over your shoulder at all all times? Then do what's good and you'll receive his approval. The government's not, if you are doing good things, if you are abiding by the law, the government's not going to be hunting you down. That's Paul's statement here. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So to summarize those two verses, and uh, obviously, ladies, we want to unpack this a little bit, but uh, government is a good gift from God that restrains evil and promotes good. In societies, uh, throughout history, this is a common grace that God has given to man um, so that we might so that evil might be restrained in creation, even though sin is rampant, even though everybody still has sinful hearts, sinful desires, God deters some of that. Yeah, that's good. And uh, along with that, I think it's important to note that even though Paul is saying that government is a good gift from God, he is not saying that every government will be perfect. Right. And he's not saying that every government will do things biblically. Right. And he's not saying that government won't be corrupt and right. that immoral people will not be involved. Again, you mentioned it at the beginning here in chapter 13, verse 1, about as a pattern of living, we must fall under uh, you know, the subjection of the government. But generally speaking, uh, as laid out here in chapter 13, we're, we're looking at a specific pattern in which the government is supposed to live out and what mm-hmm. God has brought them for to do. As you said, government is good for those who are law-abiding citizens, and then the government is supposed to punish those who are not law-abiding citizens. Right. You want to give us some examples of where we see good coming from the government? Yeah, I mean, um, the first thing I thought of before, before I jump into that, first thing I thought of was that that deterrent idea, right? Like if, if I'm, if I'm driving through, uh, if I'm driving down the road here and I'm going the speed limit, I'm not looking over my shoulder, right? Like if a police car pulls up beside me at a stoplight, I'm not like my, my palms don't start getting sweaty. Like I'm fine. Like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And in fact, I actually like that because the person who is, uh, driving like a maniac on the road because they're drunk. Well, I want them to be, pulled over to protect myself. So that's a good thing. Um, whereas if I'm the one speeding around like a crazy person, when I see a police officer, yeah, I'm going to feel that 
burden. I'm going to be looking over my shoulder. And that's exactly what I think Paul's talking about there. But more broadly speaking, man, government provides so many things to our society that we don't even think about. At least I don't think about because it's just kind of, hey, that's what's it's there. But government helps provide uh, firefighters, police, military protection, clean water, uh, utilities, traffic and zoning laws for safety, uh, hospitals, housing, schools, um, all kinds of other things that contribute to the order and stability of our society. Um, I, I think those things are there oftentimes without us recognizing them, but they provide peace and stability and order um, that wouldn't be there otherwise. Yeah, I like what you said there about stability, structure, order, peace. Uh, that is really the, the, the main idea behind God orchestrating government. And again, it's not going to be done perfectly. So right. I, I think as Christians, we, we need to stop expecting it to be done perfectly. And we need to start respecting what God has still done through his common grace, his general mm-hmm. grace, to allow government to be functioning because of the reasons that you had mentioned. And mm-hmm. that wasn't an exhaustive list, no. but that was a, a, a good amount of reasons to be thankful that God has given us government because of those benefits that we receive. And the, the, those things are a blessing for sure. Yeah. Well, and, and I think too, I, I, I'm, I, I like what you're doing. You're, you're reminding us to constantly recognize that the corruption of the good gift itself does not negate the goodness of the gift. Right. So like God has given, I'll just go ahead and use this example. It's the first one that came to mind, like the gift of sex. Sex is a beautiful, good gift that God has given for marriage. But just because somebody distorts that, of course, we've seen distortions of sex since creation itself, but that doesn't negate the actual goodness of the gift. Now, the good gift of government, a lot of times we, what we do, we hear this stuff, we put American glasses on, right? And like, we're just thinking about the American government. That's not, we're not saying that America or, you know, the United States government, like we should, that they are doing all these things perfectly, quite the opposite. We're just saying the concept of government is a good thing. And I would add to what example can you think of? Because government is one of those things, if you take it away, that's when you realize its value. You don't realize how important it is until it's gone. Uh, what what maybe example can you think of that would help us appreciate that? Yeah, well, if our listeners get some time this week, just turn back to the Old Testament and go to the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, the theme uh, of those chapters, some of the darkest periods that you will see mm-hmm. in Scripture, it's because everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. There, there, there was, uh, it was really unrestrained evil, yeah. unrestrained Gosh. evil, chapter after chapter after chapter. So this idea of, hey, let's just get rid of government is honestly the worst idea ever. Yeah. I mean, this is just a biblical concept, right? You take government away, everyone does what is right in his own eyes, the book of Judges says, and uh like you you said it well, go back and read it and just look at what things, I mean, that part, that portion of the Old Testament narrative leading up into the historical books and the kings um, are so dark and so twisted and such a glimpse into the depravity of man um, because that grace, the common grace of government and restraining of evil was taken away. So we just need to recognize that the God has given governing authorities the responsibility to restrain evil in society, because if they weren't there, things would be worse. Uh, let, let me add to that, maybe a little illustration before uh, you move on to the next point here. Look, we, we're, we're so enamored with government bad, government bad, government bad, government immoral, government immoral. And the same w- would be true of the news. Mm-hmm. The news is 95% bad, 5% good. Um, and, and when that onslaught constantly hits your mind, it, it, it will transform your own thinking and your own heart in relationship to the, those avenues or those platforms. So all we hear about the government is just how terrible they are. And that may be true, 
that's not the issue of this episode, but we tend to now forget about the good things that God has allowed government yeah. to bring about in our society. So that, that, that would be a point that I'm advocating for here in this episode. Um, not the morality of the government, not the bad the government has done, but the many blessings that God has allowed through government that each and every one of us experience every day. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good reminder. And I would say again, that's just emphasized by the reality that when we think about American, like we think about the United States government, like that's not the point. General concept government is good, right? Like the gift of government is a good thing. Um and so continuing in the the flow of thought here, I want us to to get to the application point. And so um I'll just kind of summarize the end of this. Verse five is kind of a restatement of this thesis statement. He kind of gives a conclusion to wrap up his argument. He says, therefore, one must be in subjection. He just doubles down, not only to avoid God's wrath, but for the sake of conscience. So again, he just reiterates what he had said in verse one. Uh, And then verses six to seven, uh, I don't think I want to walk through those yet because I think we can do that some other time. But verses six to seven is kind of an application, like based on what we've seen and what we've just established in these previous verses, the Christian, in this case, the Romans, are to give to government what government's owed. Essentially, uh, governing authorities have, they need the means, the financial means to accomplish all the good that God has uh, set them up to accomplish. Right. We did an episode uh, dealing with Jesus's response uh, to government from Mark chapter 13, render to Caesar that which is Caesar, really the bigger issue there, render to God that which is God's, um, give up your entire life for God. Uh, look, yeah, I mean, as far as a practical application is concerned, and in context, Paul there begins talking about taxes that you had mentioned. Look, taxes have been a part of the history of this world dating all the way back to the book of Genesis. Well, mm-hmm. we see taxes instituted and orchestrated there around Joseph, one of the more prominent figures in the Old Testament narrative. So, well, that's good. That's a good reminder. So, okay, with that background, that biblical exposition now in place, uh, which, by the way, we've said this before, but that's the pattern, right? Like a lot of times we want to jump to. Um, we want to jump straight into having the the practical application, but the reality is we have to do the biblical exposition first, uh, informed with a cohesive systematic mindset. Now we can move into the practical application. So I want to, us to just kind of draw out a couple of takeaways, and then we'll ask some questions in light of the situation that we find ourselves in now. So just general takeaways from Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. This is mainly going to be reviewed. We've already hit most of these things. But first of all, government's a good gift from God. Like that's a good thing. Um, it, it, government has been given by God in order to promote good and to restrain evil. So even when you have a corrupted or wicked or deplorable uh, government, the reality is, is that the gov- that government itself, the concept of government, is a good gift from God. Uh, second, we need to recognize that we have a responsibility, even a mandate, to respect and to submit to the governing authorities. That's laid out clearly in Scripture. Christians are not exempt from this. Uh, we don't get to say, well, we answer to God alone, not any government, because God is our authority. Well, God has extended his authority into these governing authorities. So by that reason, for that reason, we have the responsibility to to respect and submit to the government. Uh, and then related to this, we're going to come back and, and ask this question later, but we submit to the government as long as... And so we obey the government as long as it does not contradict God's word. So we'll come back and and um, and deal with that a little bit more. And then finally, I would say that we must know that our trust is in God alone, not the government. So government is a good gift from God. It restrains evil. It's a good thing, but it's limited. And so our hope is not in the government. Government restrains evil, but God alone will destroy evil. Um, so there's a difference there. So yes, we respect it, we submit to it, but it's not where our hope and trust is found. That's in God alone. Yeah, we've talked about having theological balance, um, being well-rounded uh, throughout uh, many episodes 
on the Reformed Informants podcast. Again, this is another one of those areas where we need to be balanced. We, we, we have to be balanced. There has to be a proper submission. Uh, there has to be a, a proper desire to be able to act and conduct ourselves in a manner um, that is expressing that in, in the way that we live towards government. Again, we're, we're talking about desires, wills, your will, your, your affections. Um, but at, at the same time, there could possibly be situations where we don't obey the government. Okay. And I think that the scripture makes those clear and gives Christians the freedom to disobey on biblical grounds. Um, so, so let me ask it another way, and then I'll send it back your way, and you can kick us off in this part of the episode. But do we really have to submit to all governing authorities? What, what about corrupt government? What about corrupt individuals? What about corrupt presidents or evil government, even at the local and national level? Mm-hmm. What, 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 what do we do with that? So... <clears throat> I believe it was when, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was when Trump was, uh, President Trump was elected, there was that hashtag, not my president that went around. That's, is that right? Yeah. So so essentially what you're asking me then is do we have the grounds to say, hey, because he's immoral, because he is corrupt, because he is fill in the blank with whatever, do we now have an out, right? Like that's the question that we want to ask. Well, uh, first of all, Paul doesn't give us one in Romans 13. So if you're going to find an out, you're not going to find it there. Uh, But I do think that the Bible gives us specific examples of those who do rebel or do resist governing authorities. So uh, you mentioned already Acts uh, chapter 5, the apostles are charged not to preach the gospel. So they've been told, do not share this good news. Do not preach about Jesus. And they say, we must obey God rather than men. So they directly disobey the government. But in that case... You have God's law being infringed upon, and so God's law is always going to supersede man's law. Um, you could continue uh, looking at Old Testament acts. You've got the Egyptians uh, back in uh, Exodus chapter 1 and 2, the Egyptian uh, leadership. The Pharaoh says, kill all the Hebrew boys, right? We don't want them. They're getting too strong. We don't want their armies to be great. But the midwives... Actually, it says that they feared God and they did not do as the king commanded them and they let the Hebrew boys live. Uh, You've mentioned Daniel chapter three. You got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They don't bow down to the idol. Daniel six, uh, he continues to worship. He continues to offer prayer uh, and he is um, brought before the king uh, for doing that. Um, And then, of course, we could go through church history. I mean, the martyrs, oh my gosh, the persecution that has taken place throughout the centuries. Even currently, you've got persecution happening because people are, Christians are rebelling against the government and continuing to worship. So all those things, all those examples, then Lance, what do those have in common, which would then merit some kind of rebellion or or resistance to the governing authority? Yeah, all of those deal with, uh, worship um, of the one true God. They deal with um, preaching and teaching the gospel. They deal with evangelism. They're all gospel centric. In, in other words, they're they're all bound to uh, this idea that you cannot worship God. You cannot meet. You cannot preach the word. You cannot evangelize. This is where government has now stepped over the line as their governing authority, and now they're trying to hinder and make dogmatic statements about what you can and cannot do in terms of religion. And here we're talking, obviously, about Christianity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. What what else? What else would you say there? Man, you know, I, I think I would add to that. Even when we see those examples, in those examples that you talked about from the book of Daniel, from the book of Acts, um, even in the book of Exodus, is that when the disobeying or the rebellion, I guess for a lack of you know better words to use there, when you do see God's people acting in that manner, again, it's not, it's not a revolt. 
It's not an uprising. It's not rioting. It's mm. humbly submitting to God regardless of the consequence. Mm. And I just love the demeanor and I love the heart and the manner at which they do that in those circumstances. And that's such a, gosh, that's so true, which I hadn't even thought about that, but there's just such there's such reverence for God, which is leading them to do this, right? They they're compelled uh, by conscience and by uh, their spirit to say, "Look, I'm I understand what you're saying, and I am intentionally going to rebel against it, and and do so boldly." By the way, these these men and women uh, throughout the centuries have done this boldly, recognizing that uh, God is deserving of their obedience more so than the government. Um, but I also loved what you said, too, about regardless of the consequences, because what we have to recognize is that when you see this rebellion in Scripture and in church history, every single instance is done so with the knowledge that persecution or resistance or punishment or judgment will come. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said no, and guess what? They got thrown into a furnace. It was so hot that the men who were throwing the, that were trying to put them in there were burning up. Daniel got thrown into a den full of lions to be torn to pieces. Uh, The apostles throughout the book of Acts are beaten and battered and publicly humiliated. Eleven of the twelve of the apostles are known to have been, uh, according to church history, are known to have been um, executed for their faith, they lost their lives for it. And John, the only one who uh, isn't, uh, according to church history, was mercilessly beaten and exiled to Patmos. So you've got so much resistance that happens. And so I would say all that to say that when we do resist, if we sense, hey, this is a violation of God's law and we must stand up against it, we have to do so with fear and trembling, recognizing that God has given that authority to those institute to those entities to punish us for rebelling, even though we're being obedient to God, right? Which is sobering, right? And in that punishment, they don't understand what they're doing. That's what we're talking about in the early portions of the episode: is that government isn't always right and perfect, and that they're wrong. In that case, they would clearly be wrong. An example of what we're talking about here, though, is when if Christians were persecuted and if Christians were told you cannot meet at church on Sunday morning because you are no longer allowed to proclaim the name of Christ, our reaction to that would be humbly, well, we, we are going to meet. You know, I will see you Sunday morning at our church. We're, we're coming onto campus. We do that in a humble um in a humble manner, we would not, however, run straight to the courthouse and start demanding our rights and demanding our freedoms and start demanding things. There's a, there's a different response. Uh, the response of willingly showing up, no matter the persecution you're about to face, is completely different than getting in your car at rapid speed and running to the local government and, and acting a fool. It's right. completely different. Right. That's man. That's that's a good word. So so let's talk about this then. In these few moments that we have to wrap up, how does this all play into the current situation that we find ourselves in now? Because you and I talked about this off off the mics. We've we've had the conversation about the uproar that we've seen from Christian Twitter, right? Like reacting uh, a little bit. I, I'm going to try to be generous here, but a little bit out of their mind to say we are being massively persecuted by the government, which has no right to tell us whether or not we can gather into our buildings on Sunday morning right now. Because look, we're, we both, both of us work. um, We both make our paychecks from a local church. We are vocational ministers. We, we give, have given our lives to this calling. We desire to be in church. And right now we've been told we can't be. And so is this an issue of persecution? Is this an issue which would lend us to rebel? Now, of course, we've talked about this a little bit in the previous episode, but but how does this, where does this fall on the spectrum and what reasoning do we have to take the stance that we do? I like what you said there about the uh, Christian Twitter. Maybe we could call it the CTV, the Christian <laughs> Twitter version. 
that's 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 what we're seeing we're seeing a ctv reaction here oh yeah the ctv wow um <laughs> yeah uh, uh, man if you are on social media because this is where all the uh discussion and the hoopla is going um there are many out there that are advocating that this is like the worst persecution that the church has ever faced here in uh, the united states and I agree with you. I, I think some of that is sort of a a, a martyr syndrome uh, that there is this whole idea that it kind of feels good to maybe go against government here. Like, man, here we go. I'm living out Acts 5, living out Daniel chapter 3. Uh, let's kind of stoke the fire here. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I think you could probably make an argument that there are some intricacies involved in this entire situation where... Um, it, it could look and possibly could be uh, the government infringing upon our religious freedoms. I don't want to downplay that right. um, because I think that it probably could be there. Um, but I think what we're seeing here, even in our imperfect government, is that we have a, a national emergency or a worldwide emergency on our hands. And again, there's discussion on that, whether or not it's as bad as some people are saying, or whether or not this is just a conspiracy or well, whatever it's in general, it's hard to get down to really the root of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that we have to be extremely careful in the way that we act beginning from the inside out. Now, I'm going to kick it back over to you. I want to get this quote pulled up from Richard Baxter. I got it right here. You got it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I don't feel confident about it, so I'm going to let you talk about it. (laughs) Um, So anyways, uh, so... I love what you said there. I'm going to let you go dig that up because I I pulled it up, but I'm now, I'm now I'm not trusting myself, so I want you to get it. Um, but here's, here's one thing that I did want to kind of respond to. So you had mentioned the difference between, you know, you, you use that phrase like the martyr syndrome, like we're, we could be persecuted, we could not. And, and I'll just give it a, a tangible example. So I'm in Kentucky. Uh, our governor came out the original statement when this this first the the ball first started uh, coming to a halt. We first started saying, "Okay, we're going to stay at home." The very first thing he said was he believed that churches should not meet. He said, "I think churches should not meet on Sunday." And I'm telling you, man, when he said that, I balked. Like, whoa! Like, hold on a second. Why churches? Now he has been known to say some things that are. Um, not favorable to the church. I'll say that. I don't, I don't think that many Christians would hold to many of the positions that he holds to, um, politically. And so there's kind of a tension there and he came directly and and specifically called out the churches. He said churches shouldn't meet, but he said nothing about anything else. So you could go to a high school basketball game, but you couldn't go to church. And now that is concerning. So when he said that, I'm like, Whoa, like that's not okay. But when he came back the next day, probably saw the error of his ways uh, and was was uh, a little bit different in his tone and now said all public gatherings of any size, greater than 50, um, you know, schools were being closed, restaurants, all that stuff. Now churches are not being singled out. So the same the same stay at home order can be taken differently depending on how it's directed, how it's stated. And right now. There is no distinction being made between a local church and a public school. Uh, so we are being treated the same way. And so for those reasons, I think it takes a lot of discernment. I think it takes a lot of wisdom to be able to navigate that. But uh, it's important for us to recognize that if you're looking for to be the victim, you can make yourself the victim. Uh, but hopefully we're not. Hopefully we're recognizing that real martyrdom, real persecution looks different than this. And uh, this is this is not the same thing. And so we are going to be submissive to the governing authorities, even when we don't agree with them, even when we think they might be wrong, even when we maybe don't trust them because we have biblical warrant for doing so. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's great clarification on that point. Do you have um, the Richard Baxter quote? Because I'm going to read it as you read it out loud. But I, I, I just, just, I just trust you with it more. Yeah, uh, there, there's a actually Phil Johnson from Grace to You. He he dug up a Richard Baxter quote um, from a, a book that he wrote 
called a Christian directory. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Richard Baxter is a, a Puritan. Uh, he has some great works that need to be read. One of those, The Reformed Pastor, is a, is a wonderful mm-hmm. book. A little heavy sledding, tough to get mm-hmm. through. Uh, but he also has written extensively on um, basically Christian behavior, how Christians should conduct themselves. It's called the Christian Directory. In the chapter on Christian ecclesiastics, so basically how Christians should conduct themselves in the church, he proposes a question. Here's the question. May we omit church assemblies on the Lord's day if the magistrate forbid them? So in other words... As Christians, if the government says, hey, look, you know, you don't need to meet on the Lord's Day, sh- should we abide or should we follow that? So he, he gives a rather lengthy response. I just want to read just two short excerpts from this. But he says, it is one thing to forbid them for a time upon some special cause as infection by pestilence, fire or war and another to forbid them statedly or profanely. So he says, look, there's a difference. There's a difference. If you've been told to not meet because of war, because of infection, because of pestilence, we would say because of COVID-19. And there's also another component or to forbid them statedly or profanely. Okay, so then he goes on to say, it's one thing to admit them for a time and another to do it ordinarily. So Baxter is arguing that, look, it is okay to not meet if the circumstance calls for not meeting. And in this case, as I've said, COVID-19, pestilence, war, something of the like would be a reason to not meet. He goes on later in the same discussion to say, If princes profanely forbid holy assemblies and public worship, either statedly or as a renunciation of Christ and our religion, it is not lawful formally to obey them. So he gives a clear distinction there. Mm -hmm. If we've got issues like COVID-19, it is okay to temporarily suspend meeting on the Lord's Day because of that. However, if you are now forbidden to meet because of expressions of the gospel for the right. sake of Christ or et cetera, et cetera, then we will not obey government in that issue. Exactly. That that becomes not Romans 13, but Acts 5. It becomes Daniel 3, Daniel 6. That's when the rebellion happens. And that's just, but the guy wrote that 200 years ago in a different time and place, but those words are exactly what we're arguing right now. Um, and I would just add this. This is the last thing I want to say. And then, well, how about I make this my initiative, right? My takeaway. Um, I would say this, that this cannot be a permanent solution. Like we are the church and the church is called to gather. And so how long can we actually hold to this? I don't know. I don't want to give you a specific ter- uh, time frame because I don't think there is one. Uh, but I just know it's not a permanent solution. But I, I would say this, if we do decide and by we, I mean either my church or any other church or Christians in general, if we do decide to to resist, if we do decide to, to do uh, what we've seen other examples of Scripture do, then we must do so with extreme caution. We must do so only if we feel we have no other choice. We must do so with fear and trembling, and we must do so knowing that we will be judged for it. We will be punished. Um, and that's something that we have to decide. Is that worth the, the sacrifice and the payment we are going to pay. Now, there there will come a time where, when it would be, and I recognize that, but right now, I don't sense that that's the case. And so uh, just understanding the relationship between the church and the government, between Christians and the government, just helps us to think about these things with a full counsel of God, and I think that's, that's necessary. Dude, that's so good. Um, I, I would just add for uh, my initiative— and I guess I would beg and plead for balance on this, mm. begging and pleading for balance when we talk about government and Christians and how we're supposed to respond. I think the way in which we conduct ourselves during this time can be extremely valuable in our gospel witness. It yes. can be extremely valuable for the spreading of the gospel. If we ruin this opportunity because we get on some high horse or some martyr's uh, you know, condition here, some mm-hmm. syndrome, 
then we are demoting the Christian witness that we can have during this difficult time. This is a wonderful opportunity to advance the gospel, so let's not ruin it by letting politics and government take over our mind and our thinking. Man, gosh, that's such a that's such a good word. This is man, this has been really edifying for me. It's been a good conversation. Um, I, I, of course, I preached on this. I, I, I was excited to do it, but just having this conversation with you has been really edifying, and I hope our listeners uh, have enjoyed it as well. And if you're listening today and you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. You can do that on iTunes. You can uh, follow our YouTube channel. You can like us on Facebook at Reformed Informants. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at our underscore informants, and then you can go to our website where you can find all of our links and social media platforms and all our previous episodes. You can find that at www.themajestiesmen.com slash reformedinformants. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics of discussion, feel free to email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com.